All right, if we can get some help getting the easel up, you guys, that would be great while I do announcements. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming out to Granite Creek. A few announcements before we get into an absolutely incredible message. Of course, tonight is the last night for 2014's Nativity. We had over 1,000 people last night and 900 the night before, and it's just been a great turnout. It's been a huge success, so thank you so much for all your hard work. If you have labored in this, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for putting on bathrobes and sharing the love of Jesus with people. It's just been an incredible opportunity, and uh, our, our community has been touched. After second service, after the 11 o'clock service, we'll be doing the toy giveaway, just in case you, don't, you didn't know. And um, uh, that, that's going to be a, a huge blessing. So we're going to have, we're gonna have we invited, I invited 1,000 people to church last night, so we'll see if they come. Huh? And, uh, but that, we'll be doing that second service, just in case you don't know. And then um, uh, Wednesday night is Christmas Eve. We'll be doing our Christmas Eve service. Uh, we'll be taking communion. It's going to be a 45-minute family service. So feel free to come, bring your kids. Uh, you can instruct them on the importance of communion. We will give you time to do that as well. And it's just going to be an incredible, an incredible night. Now, there's a number of other things that are going on in your bulletin. Make sure you follow along. I don't have enough time to cover them all. But today, we have a guest speaker. He is the artist Hyatt Moore. He was here for my installation, and he's preached in our, in our church before. Uh, he, is, he was uh, the, the president of the Wycliffe Bible Translators, and then he decided to become an artist. Uh, he's got two books that are, are going to be available for sale out in the lobby or out, outside after the service, and one he just done on a, on a, a tribute to the tribal people, so that's his new release. It's going to be a great Christmas gift for somebody if you need looking for some last-minute stuff. But Hyatt is going to be painting, and he's going to be painting live. But in addition to that, uh, he's such a genius that he's going to do two different messages. So if you love first service, you're going to love second service. It's going to be a completely different message. So I know. I wish, wish I could do that. But uh, it's good. we'll see. We'll see how it goes, right? Okay, and one final announcement. Get your cell phones off and turn them off. Don't turn them on vibrate. Turn them off because there's, vibrate is not silent. I don't know if you know that, but uh, t please turn them off. And if your phone goes off, Hyatt is going to draw uh, a really bad character of you, and he's going to post it on the internet, and you'll be humiliated for the rest of your lives. So turn your phones off. You guys have been great. Actually, we haven't had an incident in a while. But... Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the birth of your son and what he's done for us. And we thank you for our guest uh, preacher this morning that's going to preach and paint. God, we love you th so much. Thank you for this faithful church family. And uh, we just pray that you just continue to, to bless us. In your name, amen. Hi, Moore, you got everything? I, got, I think so. All right, great. All right. I... Of course, that was fiction that I would paint a bad painting of you and post it. But if I tried to paint a good painting, I would probably still paint a bad painting. So <laughs> it's part true. It's so good to be here. And uh, what I'm going to try to do is uh, <laughs> experimental. <laughs> Let me use the positive word. We'll see. Because painting, in fact, at least the way I do it, is a problem-solving process. That is, I don't paint the same thing every time, so I can just do it by rote. It's sort of, so you're trying to figure out how to, how to keep it from getting away from you. At the same time, I'm trying to preach. That is, remember my points. So it's kind of interesting. So if you don't get too much, well, it was a great experiment. But of course, it's about Christmas because this is the time of year. 
Now, last weekend, was it just last weekend, Josh, that we were in, together in Seattle? Well, we weren't together, but as we texted each other, it was like, are you in Seattle too? I'm in Seattle. So it was very interesting. We were up there, my wife and I, my wife, stand up, Anne, here's my wife, Anne, beautiful Anne. We were up there visiting our children, one of our daughters and family lives there. And we do that often, sometimes before Christmas, so we're there for the Christmas season, but not the day, because both of us have other things going on then. So one of our traditions is to go downtown, and it is so magical. I I don't know why, but everybody seems to come downtown, and uh, the years it snows is really magical, but anyway, it didn't snow this year, but still wonderful, full of light and full of Christmas and full of people and full of music. That is, the music is kind of like you know, steel drum bands on the corners and things like that, but just lively. But I also noticed, very secular. The Christ is not there. Tradition is there. And I missed it. It's like as if what Satan said in the garden to Eve was, did God really say? And it's almost like you could make a Christmas card these days and say, did God really say? I mean, we like this tradition and all. We like red, we like bells, we like happiness, we like giving. But the Christ thing is uncomfortable, so it's left out. I saw a card for sale in a coffee shop. Some artisan was making things and selling them. And they had witty sayings or poetic sayings. And one of them said, be still and know. You know, there's more to that phrase. (laughs) If you know the scripture, it says, be still and know that I am God. But stop there. And I think, well, that's just sort of indicative of where we are. Now, my whole presentation today isn't about that, but it's sort of a mourn. I I know that not everybody's Christians, and I'm not going to push it on them. But remember, the word Christ is in the word Christmas. You'd think he kind kind of belongs there. Well, today I am going to do a bit of a, try to do a bit of a painting of the nativity scene. But one of the things about it is while it's a children's story, and it is, it's also a deeply spiritual, adult, never unfathomable story. I remember some years ago when my, well, I, I was raised in a Christian home. My wife was not very fine people. But they were also, more when it came to Christmas, more traditional. I mean, just tradition. My parents did tradition too, but we brought Christ into it. The point is, one time they said, Hyatt, they knew I was a Christian, you go over there and tell the the children the Christian story while we have our conversations and our whatever. And I thought, well, I guess I was happy to do that because the children need to hear it. But I felt like this is relegated to a child's thing and not really taken seriously. That hurt. And so while I'm talking today, it's a children's story, of course, but it goes so deep. You would think that if God came to earth, sent his son to earth, everything about it would be unusual. And everything about it was unusual. Not only the event itself, but all the things leading to the event. The prophecies, for example. I read recently that that uh, there are 48, and I think it's a loose number because sometimes they get a little bit on the edge, prophecies in the Old Testament for Jesus, which 
indicates that it could not have been a coincidence. And some mathematician figured out that if there were eight, just eight, and that's a lot, um, prophecies completed in Jesus, the fact that it could have been accidental would be a one chance in 100 million billion. <laughs> one chance in 100 million billion, if there were just eight. And there are 48. Well, he went on to figure out how many, what, it, what chance would be that all 48 of them were fulfilled, and they were, because the New Testament confirms them. The, the chance would be a trillion, 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 trillion to one. In other words, tri a trillion times 13 to one. I mean, it's almost, it's almost, it's a lot harder to not believe it than to believe it when you start looking at it. It's like, where did this come from if it didn't happen in history? And the fact that it is all fulfilling prophecies. And so, we have the story. We have, uh, um, let's start with the wise men. Now, one of the, one of the prophetic things was that people would come from elsewhere. It's interesting, while the Jews themselves weren't getting it, people from outside were, and they were scholars. Scholars, we might call them scholars. Wise men, people that had looked into things. And so I'll put them on. Here's the night sky, okay? And they're coming along. Camels. We were in Israel just last month or the month before, anyway, recently, and uh, kind of saw how camels are, and they're not real easy to ride. <laughs> you know, you might wish you had a horse, but they do well in the desert. So um, that's what happened. So it, as it happened. People came from what they think is modern-day Iraq, or at least around in that area, which was sort of the cradle of civilization, if you'll remember your history. That's where it all kind of started, around the Fertile Crescent and all, and that's where ma major kingdoms had been formed, and a lot of, of looking into speculating what this world is all about. And so we had, you, since most of the Bible is about Israel, you kind of don't take the rest of the work much seriously unless you're in trouble with them. You know, they have wars, etc. But in fact, they're over there living their lives and wondering about you know, God. And have, don't, didn't have modern science yet, but they had the science they had, and they had astrology. Astrology and, and, and uh, astronomy were all mixed up together. It's all sort of one science. Now, these days we say stay away completely from astrology, and that's right. But who knows what God will use? And these people had an idea from something. Maybe they had the scriptures. Very likely, since they were people that were looking into things, they probably learned Hebrew. The language they were speaking wasn't that different anyway. And studied the Hebrew scriptures. There was also tradition. There was also Balak, by the way, who was... Uh, a prophet of God, so he's called, even though he wasn't from Israel, 
who had given a prophecy about the Lord. And they had that. They might have had They probably had it. They probably were, were people that investigated everything they could come up with. And there's a prophecy. In fact, if I can put my, my uh, finger on it, Numbers, yeah, the prophecy of Balak. Balak was hired by Syria to prophesy against Israel, if you know the story. And he kept prophesying, but he kept prophesying in Israel's favor. <laughs> they say, that's not what we hired you for, you know. But he became an enemy of Israel because, they, because he was trying to. But this would come out of his mouth. And one of the things that would come out of his mouth was this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, is that a star literal? Or is that like a superstar? Well, either one. It works. And that's how prophecy can be. Just, just double meaning enough that if you decide not to believe it, you can. And that's almost how they all are. It takes belief to get there. Now, what I didn't put in this drawing yet, but I will now, is our star. Okay? <laughs> That's a star. You ever want to know how to paint a star? <laughs> That's about it. Now, it wasn't a star probably like that. It's not like everybody saw the star. It was the seekers that saw the star, which is another truth. It's true with the Lord. We see him very clearly because our faith is so strong. The next person next to you doesn't. Seekers see him, and he's revealed. So these were seekers, and they saw it. Now, what about that star? People have speculated, you know, stars don't act like that. You know, they don't just all of a sudden actually point to a, you know, a building. They're too far out. So why, how was it that the wise men from way over there could kind of predict that or see the star from wherever they were, probably saw it, think this is the time, we already read about it, this must be the time, let's go over there and worship not just go over there and see like a scientist would do. They want to go over and worship because they realize this is strong. This is a heavy. This is a worldwide thing going on, and we want to be there. But as they get closer, they lose track of it. And then it appears again. I mean, that, there it is in Scripture. If you read it, it kind of goes by pretty fast. But in fact, I read a little paragraph about that, and I will share it with you. This is a book quoting another book. Was Just a short paragraph. Here, was it a comet, asteroid, conjunction of planets? All had been suggested to explain the Christmas star that led to the wise men from the east to visit the Christ child. For astronomer Hugh Ross, who is being quoted here, one possibility is a recurring nova. Now, this is a Christian astronomer. I've read his book, and it's all he's very scientific. Years ago, I read it. Quote, an easily visible nova, a star that suddenly increases in brightness and then within a few months or years grows dim, occurs about once every decade, he said. Nova are sufficiently uncommon to catch the attention of observers as alert and well-trained as the magi must have been. However, many nova are also sufficiently unspectacular as to escape the attention of others. Most nova explode once, but a few undergo multiple explosions separated by months or years. 
this, he said, could account for how Matthew says the star appeared, disappeared, and then reappeared and disappeared again. Pretty interesting. Now, it would be, of course, unusual, maybe once in once period. But then that's what God would do, because Jesus was once period. You know, it would be a specific thing for a specific moment. And it became it's become a part of our culture. Uh, our culture. In in Seattle, one of the great things is this tower in the middle of town with this star on top. It's Christmas. But they don't believe this. It's just tradition. But we still have adopted it as part of our culture. We say, that's a special thing. These people came all this way, and they brought gifts. I should give them something to stand on, maybe a little ground. I'll just put a little earth in there. One go all the way across the canvas so don't go off to a, cre a crevice and fall in. Okay. This is acrylic paint, apparently because it's easy to... I'm usually an oil painter, but that would be messier and harder to dry, longer to dry. And since they're in kind of right, let's give them a little bit of a shadow. It's awfully quiet in here. It makes me nervous. <laughs> Should have had the band playing while I was doing this. But then I'd have to say, I'd say, be quiet while I'm trying to say something. So that wouldn't work either. Give him a little shadow. I haven't painted a lot of camels. Maybe once. <laughs> so it's not like I know how to do this. But you get the idea. There they are, the light. I don't know. I made them blue because I grabbed the blue paint, but it kind of works. Okay, so there they are. And let's say that that, uh, that star is now leading them a little bit. You know, we'll kind of give them a little glow. You know, I'm kind of making this up, right? I'm sure this wasn't how it is, but we'll just give it that. Okay, I could have read you the Christmas story, and I, it was my, in my notes to do that, but I would probably run out of time. But you know the story. You know how this is part of it. And we don't know when this happened. It says that after Jesus was born, those wise men show up. Some people think, well, it happened maybe two years later because Herod was out there killing babies that were under two years old, but they don't know that either. I think Herod was just being safe. It could, it could have been right then. It could have been right there at the manger because it was before they fled to Egypt in any case. Okay, and Herod, as you know, that's uh, part of the crash that doesn't show up. You know, the crash where we have the manger and Mary and Jesus and shepherds and sheep and cows and wise men and frankincense and golden myrrh and star and an angel. I think that's pretty much complete. But what isn't there is Herod's soldiers. Well, let's not be negative. But in fact, it was a scary world that he was born into. I don't know how many of us were born, and then right away soldiers were after, after us to kill us. Now, that's pretty unusual. And that's another one of the unusual events. We don't think about it much, but in fact it happened. And Herod, who was a murderous 
a paranoid person anyway, to the point of murdering people in his own family, including his wife. Whoever he thought was getting more power than they should have, he would wipe them out. And he was above the law, so he could do it, and nobody could take him in for it. And when the, when the wise men came to Herod, per, partly to get directions, but partly to uh, show his team for another country, because they're international visitors now, you go to the king and say, we're here, we're visiting your country, we mean no harm. And by the way, the reason we're here is a spiritual pilgrimage. We want to see the one that was born the king of the Jews. And he said, there's a king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews, is what Herod is thinking. Who are you talking about? Well, they have these prophecies. Whatever they told them, we're following a star, and we've lost track of it. It's around here someplace. I'm making this up. But it's something like that. <laughs> and he says, well, I will get back to you. And uh, so he runs to his uh, ex experts, the priests, and said, is, uh, is the king of the Jews supposed to be born around now, anywhere around here? And they said, well, let's look. And they look it up, and they say, yeah, it's Bethlehem. Funny thing how they had to look it up, and they didn't do anything about it when they found it. But that's sort of the unbelief of the time. They come back and tell Herod. Herod tells them. He says, I'll tell you because I want to worship. Oh, come back when you found him and tell me where he is because I want to go worship him too. That lying. I'll stop. <laughs> but that's how he was. By the way, we were just in Israel, as I mentioned, and lots of my, uh, buildings that Herod did. He was an amazing person as far as how much he built, but also how many people he wiped out. And so uh, he sent his soldiers out there. Well, when he realized that he'd been deceived, because then the, the, uh, the wise men who said they would do that, they, could re they had a dream and realized, that we've been deceived, we will go back another way. So they never went back to Herod. And when Herod realized that, he said, send his soldiers out there to kill every baby in Bethlehem under the age of two, of which nobody knows how many there were, but it wasn't a big town, so it might have been a half a dozen. Maybe a dozen, probably not even that many. So it's not, not like anything like just two weeks ago that happened by the Taliban where hundreds of children were killed. And even that fact we will forget about pretty shortly because life moves on. So the fact that, that these, uh, this handful of children was killed in Bethlehem isn't recorded in history anywhere else is beside the point. It was so like Herod to have done that. And that's why they had to get out of there, and that's why they went to Egypt. And, that's, and the fact that he was in two years in Egypt and came out of Egypt fulfilled yet another prophecy, and I could read it to you, or you could look it up. But it's out of Egypt I have called my son. And he was repeating the same thing that the Israelites had done in symbol. All these things fulfilled prophecy. Seemed like I was going somewhere on that. Merry Christmas. Maybe that was it. <laughs> but... One of the things that's interesting, oh yeah, of course, one of the major uh, um, prophecies that we love to quote is that the virgin will conceive. And uh, that is fulfilled in Matthew where he says, he's quoting scripture, he says here, just like Isaiah said, the virgin will conceive. Well, skeptics like to say, hey, that wasn't really what it meant. That word is, is um, it could be used for a young girl. And lots of young girls, okay, teenagers, and that's probably what Mary was, conceive. So what's so special about this? Well, it's get, once again, it's a prophecy that can go either way. And in fact, there was something going on in Isaiah's day that this sort of fit, sort of fit. But, what, but if you're not sure, then you go to Matthew, who says himself, this fulfills that prophecy. 
That, that drives it home. But even then, there's something interesting about this, and if you can follow this, you're better than me, but I'll read it. <laughs> Hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Isaiah in 7.14 foretold, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give the birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Okay, that wasn't specific. Emmanuel. Critics, however, have said that this is a mistranslation. They claim that the Hebrew word used in this prophecy, Ama, merely means young woman, and that Bethula would have been the ideal, the idea of virginity, if the idea of virginity were intended. But researcher Glenn Miller told me that the latest and most detailed linguistic studies show Bethula could refer to a widow or divorced woman who was not a virgin. Alma is never used of a non-virgin. Says Miller, if any notion of virginity were intended, even as only an implication, Alma was the best and only word to do that job. Okay. So there you go. Further research even confirms that we're talking about a real virgin here, prophesied in the Old Testament, completed in... And so that's a major, major... Uh, um, singular event because there's never been a virgin has given birth ever before and never will be again. It's completely singular and that's Jesus. Okay, now this was the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. The Jewish scriptures were given to the chosen people. The chosen people were chosen not because they're special. They're special, but then so are you and so am I. So it's not because they're special. It's because God had to choose somebody. So he chose them so he could show us how we are and show us how he is. Okay? So they become a, he becomes a um, fulfillment of their scripture for our point. Okay, let's go back to the drawing here. We have shepherds. Shepherds. What color shall we they make shepherds? Oh, I'll make sheep whitish. Let me get my picture of shepherds out here. Sheep is another thing I don't do much of, like never. So they're going to be implied sheep. There they are. Some of them have feet, and some are in the background, and then, and then we'll have a couple of them with uh, maybe a maybe here's the shepherd. That was the sheep. Okay, sheep shepherd. We'll give him a crook. We know that much about shepherds. I need a smaller, I need a crook brush for that. Okay, there they are. Now, why shepherds? Why not the priests? The priests are the scholars. He could have said, this is my fulfillment of the scripture I've been giving you. And they'd say, well, whenever they'd say, but he didn't, partly because he knew they didn't believe it. He could have said, well, I'll, I'll make them believe. This will shock them into belief, but he didn't. He goes to the humble. Okay, so he goes to the shepherds. Who are blown away by the whole thing? They're out there watching their flock by night, which is why some people think, you know, it probably happened in the spring because that's when sheep give birth. So it probably wasn't December 25th, but so what? You know, <laughs> doesn't matter. They're out here, and an angel comes to them. An angel comes and blows them away, as they always do. Whenever they show up, the first thing they say is, fear not, as it says on your bulletin. Why do they say that? Because, you know, people just kind of lose it. I wonder, 
I wonder what happens. When it, what, what happened if all of a sudden he shows up? But he, I don't know if he's on the ground or what, but we're going to put him in the air. And he's saying, go to Bethlehem, because there you will find a baby in swaddling clothes. We think, well, what is swaddling clothes? Well, we know it's Christmas clothes or something. We're so used to that. We're so used to that expression that it's not unusual to us. But to them, they thought, okay, a baby that's dressed in not normal baby clothes and laying in a manger. When would you do that? I know my parents put me in a drawer when they brought me home from the, and they said, what do we do now? Because they were new parents. So maybe you were treated that way too. But most people aren't put in a feed trough. You know, it kind of smells. It's kind of not clean, but that's what it was. And you'll find that. You'll know that that's the baby we're talking about because it's the only one that's going to have that description. And then shepherds went and found it and said, it's just like the angel said, and they went back rejoicing. Now we could talk about the angels too. Oh, good, Larry. You're in front of my clock, so I don't have to worry about how much time is going by. That's okay. <laughs> uh, the angel is, the, is um, Gabriel, the announcing angel. He's the one that came to Daniel way back in the Old Testament and began to give him uh, prophecies about the Son of Man coming, etc., etc., which are deep scriptures, the kind of thing that no adult mind or intellectual mind can quite get. We try, but that's what I meant earlier when I said it's unfathomable, the truth of God. You study it, you get a lot more, you're better for it, but it's still a mystery because we're talking about spiritual things, and that's what Daniel, and he was a highly intelligent, very faithful person, which is why he was chosen to be, have these things revealed to, and it was Michael, besides dreams, Michael. I, didn't, I said Michael, but I meant, who did I say just a minute ago? Gabriel. Michael is the avenging angel. He's a warrior. Gabriel's an announcing angel, he announces. But he stands in the presence of God. When he appeared to uh, Zechariah in the temple, Zechariah, if you remember, was the, became the father of John the Baptist. But at that time, he and his wife were without children, and they were old. And he was in the temple doing his yearly duties, because he was chosen to be the priest in the temple that year, just a function. I mean, a special function, but it wasn't, he didn't expect anything like this. And an angel shows up, and he tells her that your wife's going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be an, an announcer for Jesus. He says, how do you know that's going to happen? He says, okay, you don't believe me. You're just not going to be able to talk until the baby comes, and that'll be yet another sign to not just you, but everybody else, that something extraordinary has happened. Well, that was my... Uh, here I go again. What's his name? should have a name tag. Gabriel. <laughs> Which one are you? Oh, good, Gabriel. I was afraid of Michael. <laughs> Gabriel said, I stand in the presence of God. Which means, if that was anything like Moses... Remember when Moses was, was uh, given the, the prayer request answered that he could indeed see the, the, uh, the glory of God, even if it's only his backside for a moment. He became, he became a glowing person to the point where people couldn't look on him. So if that's the case, then you'd probably say that he'd show up like this. You know, I mean, so radiant. Now, it doesn't say that, so I, I'm pushing it. But it stands the reason by logic. If he stands in the glory of God, when he shows up, it's too glorious to look at. 
I think he tones himself down for the occasion so that we can look at him. But in fact, in his real, his reality, he'd be that way. Too strong for us to see. And then he announces to these, to these people. Now, again, why shepherds? I think it's because the God loves especially the humble. He says that. I favor the humble. I don't like the arrogant. If you want to be in favor with God, become humble. You have a better chance. So they're already humble. They're at the bottom of the social. So we have here the most humble and the most exalted, you could say, in the world. Okay, not in the Jewish world, but that's another interesting thing. You got the Jews and you got the non Jews. Okay, you got the unlearned. Probably can't read. Why would they want to know how to read? And they're reading multiple languages and the stars. So you got both of these coming in. Very interesting. And that would be how God would do it. Another thing you would do it is do it in the middle of all time, it seems like. I could put a timeline here. Like, yeah, I could, but that would make, make it a symbol rather than a painting. Of all time, we got it right, Jesus coming right in the middle. Right when Caesar Augustus was at his high point. And Caesar Augustus was probably the high point of history as far as any one world ruler is concerned. He had the biggest territory and the longest time of peace. They called the Pax Romana. That has never happened since. Never happened before. So what you have is not just symbol, but reality of world power at its best. But not good enough. God has to come into the, to it at some point. He comes in at that point. But he comes in not as exalted like Caesar was. But he comes in so unexalted that people don't notice it. Comes in at a, at a, at a, you know, it's a manger. Out of town. He's not even born in his own town, which fulfills scripture too, by the way. Because, you know, they didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. They went to Bethlehem because he had to go to get taxed, and that's the way they did it. So the whole thing is, i got to travel over there. I'm pregnant. You know, it's just all wrong, but that's how God does it. Didn't say it was going to be easy. It's just the way it has to be to fulfill scripture. Je Jesus and I have this in common, by the way. One of, the, one of my, my claims to fame that I can say me and Jesus <laughs> were not born in our hometown. My mother also didn't want to go to the hospital where she lived. She lived in New Jersey and said, I'll go to Philadelphia for whatever reason. So we were over there. I was born. She was having me. And then we went back home to New Jersey. I, was n I never lived in, New in Philadelphia. <laughs> but I have to write that word every time I fill anything out. <laughs> well, that would have been the thing with the case. They said, anything good come out of Nazareth? They knew he came from Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the scripture, just over there for a moment, fulfilling a scripture. So anyway, this is the kind of thing that he did, that he came at the, at the center of world history, and as time goes, as, he's, as is predicted in the Old Testament, his kingdom will never stop. It'll just grow and grow and grow, and it has grown and grown and grown, and it will continue through all time. You know that. That's how it goes. Okay. Anyway, in the meantime, how's our time? We're getting there. We're pretty good. There are more angels that show up. Where's my angel brush? That one? That could be, but I think I'll take this one right here and a little bit of water. Oh, my goodness. I've gone this far without water. 
because there's a host of heavens. Now, how many? In Revelation, in one place it says, uh, John says that he saw in his vision 10,000 times 10,000 angels going around the throne. Well, I, I did a little math. I'm not good, you know, at this. So I had to double check. Is that right? I think that's 10 million. 10 million angels going around. That's a lot. It's like the city of Los Angeles or so. So did they all show up here, you know, at this place? But I got an idea that they're in there too. I think I should have got my other brushes. I'm not quite doing it. Oops. These are other angels up in the sky. This is why I put the, brought the cardboard. Now you know why I brought that cardboard backdrop. <laughs> and the place is just, you can sort of see how the, the uh, somebody have to say to the, these people, fear not, because all of a sudden the heavens just become wild. Although it, I don't know if it says it, do they sing or is that just a hallelujah chorus? They say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. And they're all over the place. And in fact, they're probably different colors. I should throw some red in there while I'm at it, but I don't have any red. Oh, here's mine. Just for the sake of... Come on. If I get any behind you, it's, you know, I can't always control where it's going. In fact, often in my studio... I'll look at a painting and say, now where did that red spot get on that painting? It was way back here. So if you get an annual, Larry. <laughs> okay, well, let's go, let's go a little faster yet. Let's take, the, let's take the knife and scrape it around a little bit. Because Talking about an aurora borealis, this is much more than that. Now, we don't know how it looked. This, I'm an artist. This is an interpretation, okay? But we know it's pretty special. All of a sudden, there's this powerful, you know, you're out just minding your own business, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up and starts talking to you, giving you information about what you should do next. And then there's all these people behind them. So, whoa. That would blow you away. It would change your life forever. It never says who, how the um, shepherds handled it. I mean, they went and saw it, came back rejoicing. But you don't hear about them afterward. But you can, you can imagine that they never stopped telling that story, what happened that night and how it worked out and all these things. It's just why, amazing that this would happen. And this has happened one time in all of history. It has never happened again. Never will happen again. Doesn't need to happen again. But we kind of don't believe it. I mean, as a culture, we say, yeah, it's a fairy tale. Did God really say? But if you look at it at all, he starts checking the facts and see how could this not have happened with so much prophecy and so much history. And the more scholarly you, you become about it, the more you realize, I can't not believe it. It's so, you know, I've been working with the Lord now for most of my adult life. At, be, at the beginning, I would every now and then check myself, did I really believe this? But the more I get into it, I say, how could it not have happened? There's too much around it. Too much has happened since, too much happened before. And it's so special that God would do this, come to earth. Now, to complete it, I need to, to hold the whole crash. I need to put the manger in here and Jesus and Mary and 
you know, the, the shack, or was it a cave, and some animals, and some cow dung. Well, no, they don't do that, but it would have been that way. It's very earthy, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let that be. I'm going to say these people are all looking. They hadn't quite got there yet in the snapshot. It was there. They're still seeking. They're going to go over there. He's saying it's there. But they are still going by faith. And that's the point. Every one of us is going by faith. We know it happened. But we kind of know it by faith. We know he's in us. Because we're different now than we used to be. But it's still by faith. The whole thing is by faith. And we will say, give me a sign. The Lord says, well, maybe. But mostly I just want you to believe it by faith. I am more pleased if you believe it by faith. Thank you, Hyatt. Thank you so much. By faith, by faith, by faith. Wow. You know, we, we, we do. We have these, these evidences, these prophecies, these scientific evidences. But God still says, just, just trust me. Just trust me. You know, this morning as we are, you know, kind of living through this nativity time and for all of you that are just exhausted and, you know, you know, it's kind of funny. You're exhausted, but you have so much energy inside of you just from, just from the, uh, the sheer blessing of it, of getting to proclaim the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what, what, what a beautiful thing we get to do. And, and yes, we're going to do it again tonight. And so this morning as we are receiving the, the offering for, for, this, for the, just the continuing of the church, you know, because this is a, it's a very high expense time, as, as you well know. And um, I just want to, to encourage you this morning, just as, you know, th- those wise men that were bringing those gifts, you know, some, some people uh, believe that it was those gifts that financed Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus for that time in Egypt, that God was making plans and you have to believe that God is making plans for you also. And as you are, as you are giving to the Lord, giving the Lord with, with gratefulness, thankfulness, a, a, a big heart of God, thank you for your mighty blessings. God, thank you for your, your good gifts. And God, I want to return to you out of, out of a thankful heart that, that you, you did so much to get my attention and, and, and I, I see you, Lord, and I want, I want to give my life to you. And God, I want to return a part of like the tithe. I want to give that offering back to, to the Lord just out of, out of a sign of gratefulness. Not because you're trying to buy God off. You, you can't. You can't buy the king. You can't buy the king. But you can take a gift that says, thank you, thank you. And this is what we're doing. This is as you're giving back to God. It's that, that thank you. So, Father, this morning as we receive this offering to continue to proclaim the gospel, the good news, to do it in a in a in a way, Father, that is staying true to the Word of God. We pray your blessing on everyone here. For those that are that are considering the claims of Christ, 
I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just draw them closer to you, that for some strange reason, this just makes sense deep inside. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Bless this offering we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. And we give back to you. We bring that gift to you now, saying thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.